There are certain U.S. lawmen who are so famous that just mentioning their names invokes a time and a spirit. There's Wyatt Earp in the shootout at the OK Corral. There's Elliot Ness and his gang of untouchables who brought down Al Capone. There's Frank Serpico, whose honesty exposed the corrupt underbelly of the New York Police Department. And of course, there's Donnie Brasco. He is the greatest undercover agent of them all. He infiltrated the Bonanno and Colombo crime families for six long, arduous, and very courageous years. He risked his life to smash the control of the mafia in America, and his work resulted in hundreds of arrests and convictions. And today, Donnie Brasco joins us on Crime Waves. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Crime Ways. I'm Declan Hill, and each week, myself and my students at the University of New Haven, and today it's Ryan Decker and Aidan Van Battenberg, we bring you an interview with one of the world's greatest criminal investigators. And in this episode, we have a giant, the most famous undercover agent of them all, Donnie Brasco. He went from being a school teacher to infiltrating brutal New York mafia crime families. But Brasco began his career undercover, contributing to car heists and had a background in being a jewelry thief, which allowed him to work his way up the mafia ranks. But in this podcast, we talk about the code of the mafia, as well as the rules for undercover agents. We also touch on this time with Hollywood celebrities such as Johnny Depp and, you know, my professional passion. So I asked him about running illegal sports betting and match fixing. But we started with an episode where mobsters told him, prove to us that you're a criminal or we're going to kill you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to CrimeWaysPodcast.com. Uh, we've been joined, Joe, by uh, 64 people from around the world. I know that guys from South Africa, Italy, the UK, my old friend Afi Sheikh is here. Um, so is Alec Bowers from the United States, uh, from France, Amanda Anna Giglio, um, uh, Malta, Antonio Zarafa. Uh, people are just, just really uh, flocking in to speak to you uh, and to, to hear you. So it's a great honor to have you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen from around the world, thank you so much for uh, joining Joe and me this morning. So, Joe, I'm going to start with an excerpt from this book. Uh, anyone who hasn't got this copy of this book, get it now. Like, like forget this podcast, get it now. Um, Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia, Joe Pistone. There's a chilling moment. You have infiltrated a Colombo social club, a Colombo family social club. And there's two guys that get out of prison, Patsy and Frankie, and they don't like you. In fact, they think you're a rat. What do they do and, and how do you react to that situation, Joe? 
Well, first of all, you know, to, to, to back up a little bit, there, there's certain rules within the, uh, the mafia. And I'm speaking about the American mafia. And uh, these rules were, uh, I knew these rules before I went in. Uh, and I was uh, explained these rules once I had uh, infiltrated to the point that I got into good conversations with people. And one of the rules of the American Mafia is uh, you don't embarrass a made guy. That's somebody that has been officially inducted into a Mafia family. You don't embarrass them in front of other people. Second rule is uh, you don't lay your hands on a made guy. You do not put your hands on a made guy. Now, those two rules will get you killed if that individual uh, so deems it. So as an undercover, you know, it, it's good to know uh, the rules of the mafia. And there's, there's other rules, which we'll get into later. But in, in this particular instance, uh, I had infiltrated the Colombo crime family and uh, I was running with a, a crew out of Brooklyn. I was with this uh, crew for maybe, I don't know, four or five months. And uh, one day, two other individuals show up uh, at the uh, social club, at the club. And uh, I'm introduced to them uh, as uh, Frankie and Patsy. Uh, the uh, boss of that crew was an individual by the name of Jilly. So, you know, I was a jewel thief. Uh, posing as a jewel thief. That's how I got in with these guys. And uh, that, that's what uh, my profession was. Well, since they just had gotten out of jail, you know, the first inclination is they need to make money. So they want to make scores. So we, uh, they had a couple places lined up that they want to rob. Uh, and we go case the, these places, look at them and uh, I tell them, you know, and, and being a jewel thief, I'm supposed to know alarms and systems, how to get in places. And I tell them that's an alarm that I, that I can't defeat. I can't get in that. No, I can't defeat that alarm. Uh, because, you know, you can't, number one, you can't be stealing everything. You can't be stealing with these guys. And number two, you have to be a real person. And even though you're, you know, even though I did know alarms, I didn't know safes, I didn't know locks, I didn't know jewelry. You have to be a real person. So, so I turned that one down and I, the same thing with two other scores that they had lined up. <clears throat> so one day I'd get to the club and uh, Jilly says, uh, Donnie, let's, uh, we gotta take a walk and talk. And for those of you who don't know, a walk and talk is exactly what it is. You're out in the street walking and you're talking. And the reason they do that is because they feel, you know, uh, the uh, law enforcement's not over here in your conversations out in the street. So I said, what's up, Jill? He said, well, Donnie, you know, uh, Patsy and Frankie, uh, I told them what a good thief you were, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and you, you know, three scores that they had lined up. You said, you, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't defeat the system. Uh, that there was a safe in there that, you know, that you would have had a blow, et cetera, et cetera. He said, so 
they want to have a sit down. And uh, being that uh, uh, Patsy was a made guy, <clears throat> we go in the club, go in the back room, they lock the door, and uh, Patsy takes a gun out, lays it on a table, and said, Donnie, if you don't convince me you're, you're as good a thief as Jilly says you are, the only way you're going out of this office here, this back room, is rolled up in a rug. So now in, in, in these situations, you know, you can't, you can't be on the defense. You've got to go on the offense. Uh, so he's questioning me about who do I know, who did I do business with, who did I rob with. Uh, before I was with the Jillish crew. And, I, you know, I'm telling them, hey, look, I'm not giving you any names. And that's another thing, too. You don't give up people that, that you've done stuff with. I said, I don't know. You know, I just met you. You just got out of jail. How do I know that, you know, you didn't become an informant in jail? I don't know anything about you other than what that day you were with Jilly's crew. So this goes on for about four and a half, maybe five hours, uh, wanting to know who I know, uh, uh, who I did, who I did other scores with, et cetera, et cetera. And all the time, Joe, you're in a locked room. I'm in a locked a gun, room. Yeah. Gun pulled. Yeah. And so, and you have to, you remember, to there's bars. You got to talk out. yourself out, out of this room or you're going to be killed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I would have, yeah, exactly. But after four and a half, five hours, and I'm not giving him anything. And like I say, in these situations, you don't want to be on a defense if you want to come back, you know. And I would say to him, well, you know, how do I know that you didn't, that you didn't, uh, that's why you got out of jail early, et cetera, et cetera. So finally, uh, one of the individuals in the room who was uh, Jilly's right-hand man, a fellow by the name of Guido, says, hey, this is it. Jilly, Jilly says, look, it's over. Uh, we know Donnie. Donnie's been around, you know, three or four months. And... Uh, Donnie's good. Well, I got a problem because knowing, knowing your targets, I mean, I couldn't just go up and, and shake their hand and say, hey, look, guys, I know you're, you know, I, 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 I know your concerns. I appreciate it. And, you know, because in their mind is, why isn't Donnie pissed off at us? We just called him out. He should be mad. In these types of situations, the only thing these guys know is a confrontation. Now, I can't do anything to Patsy because he's a made guy, but Frankie's on the same level as me. He's associate right at this point. And again, the only thing they understand is me being mad, me being upset. So as we get up to walk out, I just hit Frankie. I just clock him and he goes down. So now I'm in a, I'm in a fight with him, but Patsy's beating the hell out of me, but I can't do anything to him because he's a made guy. So I gotta, I gotta take his hits, but I can, I can do all I want to Frankie. And then finally they break it up. Now, again, you have to know, you have to know your target group. You have to know how they react to certain things. So after it's all over, uh, I finally say to Jilly, Jilly, you know, let's take a walk and talk. So we go outside and I tell Jilly, Jilly, look, nothing for nothing, but, you know, 
you and I have been close and you know I can't come out here anymore because it's not going to end well with these two guys. Uh, you know, uh, you and I are friends, <clears throat> but I can't, I can't come out here and, and hang out anymore. Uh, so that's, that's what happened in that situation. Tell but, us a little bit more about the code because my academic hero, Diego Gambetta, wrote a brilliant book called The Code of the Underworld, where he breaks this down and things. So tell us, if you don't mind, a little bit more about these rules of the mafia, the rules inside this organization. Well, what I was, what I was told, and uh, I would, would, you know, once I, I had known these from, from <laughs> number one, growing up in that environment. I grew up, you know, it's a kind of neighborhood uh, I grew up in an old Italian neighborhood that, you know, there were wise guys in it and you hung around so you knew them. Uh, but uh, once I once I had infiltrated to a point, then they sat me down and they, they said, Donnie, we have some uh, rules, you know, that you have to abide by if you want to uh, if you want to be with us. And it's crazy because I had a bushy mustache at the time. And one of the rules, they said, Donnie, you're going to have to shave your mustache. We don't want any facial hair, long hair. We want you to be neat at all times. I said, well, that's not a problem. I can shave my mustache. And we want you to dress nice at all times. Now, that doesn't mean a suit and tie, but they want to see, you you know, uh, clean clean pants, clean shirt. If you go out at night, we we want to see you with a sport jacket. I said, well, that's not a problem. Now, those rules, if you break those rules, they're not going to get you killed, but it'll show you don't have respect for them, and so you're not going to really advance. And then they said that, now, these, you break these rules, and you're going to get killed. You, the, the person has a right to kill you. And, of course, one of them was, if you get into a verbal confrontation with a main guy, you can't embarrass him in front of other people if you're not a made guy. If you do, then he has the right to kill you. You can't lay your hands on a, a, a made guy. <clears throat> so if you're in this verbal confrontation and a made guy gives you a slap, you go back at him physically, you're dead. You're dead. So that'll get you killed. I said, okay. The third one is uh, you don't steal money from the family. If you're in a deal and it's, it's an illegal deal with the family and you steal money, that'll get you killed. You become a snitch. You become a, you know, an informant. That'll get you killed. Then the next one they told me, you don't fool around with a made guy's wife, daughter, or girlfriend. That'll get you killed. So they had these rules that they lived by, uh, I mean, but, and- but, but just a sec, Joe, I mean, uh, you know, that, that's the thing that's so interesting about reading your book or one of your books, by the way, I'm just going to plug this again, Donnie Brasco, My Undercover Life in the Mafia. And the other one is Donnie Brasco, Unfinished Business. If you haven't read these two books, if you haven't listened to uh, Joe before, they're extraordinary. But Joe, I mean, there's the time where the daughter of one of these big mobster guys is stroking your leg under the table. What was that all about? Well, we were in a, uh, uh, 
it was in the morning, early in the morning, you know, uh, we had gone into this, uh, uh, luncheonette coffee shop and, uh, there were some of the, the neighborhood, uh, uh, ladies in there and they were, you know, younger when I say younger, probably in their twenties, uh, early twenties, late, you know, late teens. And so, you know, when I say we was myself and some of the other wise guys, we went in to have coffee and get some breakfast and uh, we're sitting down and all of a sudden uh, I feel a, uh, a foot on my, rubbing my leg, you know, and I look, <laughs> I look down and it's, it's one of the wise guy's daughters, you know. Uh, so, you know, you just have to, you know, you can't, you, you can't say anything at that point in time because, you know, it, it, you can't upset her because she can say anything, you know, to, the, to, to her father. And then you got a beef coming. Uh, so what I did is I just excused myself, said I go to the men's room and, you know, sat in a different place when we came back. Uh, another time, uh, uh, one of the, one of the young ladies that I, that I, I knew, uh, and I would see her out in the clubs at, uh, around, around Manhattan. Uh, and she became flirty. Uh, so again, you can't insult them because, you know, you never know what they're going to do, go back and say anything to their fathers. So I just, I just, uh, told her, hey, you know, look, uh, I'm close with your dad. Uh, you know how close your dad and I are. And uh, you know the kind of guy I am. You, you never see me with any, the same female twice. Uh, I'm, I'm not a kind of guy that, you know, that has attachments. Uh, so although I like you, you know, I think we should just remain, you know, just friends. Uh, and she understood that because, you know, her father was a wise guy and she understood the life. They're constantly, the mob guys are constantly grifting each other. I mean, you have this quote called, yes, you cannot touch a woman. You must show respect. Uh, you know, it's like this Godfather movie nonsense. But they're grifting all the time. Tell us about that grifting. Yes, they are. <clears throat> and, and that's why, you know, that, that's why guys get killed. You know, that, that's why anybody... That, you know, and, and again, you know, all my expertise is here with the American mafia, uh, you know, and I'm sure that uh, the rules are stricter, you know, uh, with the Sicilians or the mainland uh, mafia in Italy. Uh, <clears throat> but the reason that guys get killed is, for instance, uh, you do you do a big score. Suppose. Uh, I do a score for just a million. I'm just taking numbers now. Well, it, anything, any gains illegally, you have to kick up. So in other words, if, if you're a made guy and monies you make from in the illegal activity, you have to kick in to your boss, your capo. Okay. If you're an associate, any, illegal gains, you have to kick in to your maid guy that who's responsible for you because every associate it has a maid guy that's responsible uh, for him. Uh, 
So, and how much you kick up depends on who you're dealing with. If, if you have, uh, suppose I'm a, all right, I'm an associate and the maid guy that I'm responsible to uh, <clears throat> is greedy. If he knows I, I, my score was a million dollars and he says to me, I want 700,000 of that, I got to give it to him. I got to give it to him because I'm not a maid guy. And, and the same thing goes to the maid guy. If his capo is greedy and, you know, if he, if he does a score for a million and his capo says, I want 500 of it, then you got to give your capo 500 of it. Now, where they grift each other is after a while, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Why am I giving him that much? So if you if the score is a million, then you go and say, "Hey, my score was only eight hundred thousand, so you're holding back two hundred thousand. Now, if you get caught holding back that two hundred thousand, you're going to get killed. You're going to get killed. Uh, and there's a lot of envy and jealousy. Like once I got in in close. Uh, in tight with Mike Capo, who was uh, it, it, in my later years, Dominic, Sonny Black, Napolitano. Uh, there was a lot of jealousy within the other guys because I was that close to the Capo. Uh, so, th- th- you know, uh, there's, there, there's no honor amongst, amongst these guys. They have these rules, but they break them all the time because, you know, it's all about money and it's all about power. And if you're closer to the power than they are, they're jealous because they think you're making more money. And that's the, one of the reasons why one of the guys at Bonanno, was a guy by the name of Tony Mira, who was the first Bonanno guy I, I, I met. That's why he, 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 tried, he had three sit-downs uh, trying to get me killed because he thought I was making a ton of money and he wasn't getting any of it. Uh, because what happened was uh, uh, he went to jail, so I I became close to another Bonanno by the name of uh, Lefty Ruggiero. And uh, when Mira gets out of jail, he thinks that we're making all kind of money uh, and that he should be getting some of it. Uh, so they're, they're always, yeah, they're always grifting each other. I mean, there's no honor. Now, Joe, is that the man that most terrified you, Mira, because he was such a wacko? Or was there somebody else that still in those, you know, nights at four o'clock in the morning, you wake up going, what the uh, hell was I doing? The, the, the meanest guy I ever met in the mafia was, was Tony Mira. And the meanest guy I ever met. I mean, the guy had no, no morals, no scruples. Uh, <clears throat> the guy was just plain mean, uh, very demeaning. Was he like an animal? Well, yeah, for lack of a better word, I mean, uh, he would uh, insult people. I mean, the wise guys didn't like him. The only thing it was that he was a moneymaker. He was a big moneymaker in the drug trade. Uh, Other than that, uh, he was. uh, I got into several confrontations with him uh, where at one point he had embarrassed me in front of other people. And of course I couldn't, you know, I couldn't say anything. Uh, but at, you know, you have to maintain your respect and credibility. 
So when we were alone, I just told him, you know, I said, Tony, don't ever insult me like that again, because, you know, it might come, I'll stab you in the back. You'll never see it coming, but don't ever do that to me again. Uh, and from there on, we, you know, we became enemies versus friends. Uh, I mean, I've seen him, uh, I mean, I, I've been out with him where, uh, <laughs> I've seen him do things that people, you know, just citizens because he, he, he was just soft, off, little bit off. I mean, he was just a mean, mean person. Yeah. Joe, let's talk about, let's talk about Sonny Black and the code of the undercover agent, because after six years, you're decided to pull off this extraordinary case where you've infiltrated sections of the Colombo family, much of the Bonanno family. And someone has to die because you have infiltrated them. They vouched for you. And Sonny Black has to, has to die. But you actually quite liked him. Do you feel any guilt? Do you feel any sentiment because of that? Well, <clears throat> You know, Dr. I, I never wanted to see anybody die. I mean, that wasn't my job. My job was to, you know, gather evidence, uh, get you indicted, and hopefully you went to jail. Uh, it wasn't to, to see anybody uh, uh, get killed. But at a certain point in time, I, you know, I knew that, you know, once this thing ended, that several people were going to get killed over their association with me. But, you know, on the other hand, I never... I, I never enticed anybody to do anything illegal. They were gangsters before I got there. They were gangsters while I was there. And they were gangsters after, you know, after I left. Unfortunately, several of them uh, got killed. Uh, <clears throat> I had a good relationship with Sonny Black because uh, although Sonny Black was a, you know, I mean, Sonny Black was a, <laughs> was a killer too. Uh, but he... he he was the kind of guy you you could you can sit and have normal conversation with. It 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 wasn't it wasn't the mafia or illegal activities twenty four seven, where some of these guys, you know, you couldn't have a a normal conversation because you know th their whole mindset was 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 the mafia. Uh, so yeah, I I had a <clears throat> I had a, a a good relationship with Sonny. Uh, in fact, I used to stay at his apartment with him uh, when I didn't want oh, to. Um, tell our audience that story of y y you, you are pulled out and then the FBI comes and tells Sonny Black and the, you know, Tony and, uh, sorry, Lefty and, uh, you know, that you are an FBI agent. They don't believe you. And then when they finally do, Sonny disappears. And after a month or so, his girlfriend, a longtime girlfriend, reaches out to the FBI to have a conversation with you. T tell us about that conversation. What happened was, like I said, I became really close with Sonny, um, with Sonny Black. And uh, <clears throat> when the operation uh, ended, and the reason it ended, because there was uh, friction within the Bonanno crime family, uh, three, three capos, were trying to take over the family because the boss was Rusty Ristelli, who was in jail. And uh, <clears throat> Sonny Black was on the, was on the opposite, opposition side uh, with Joey Messina. But uh, uh, what happened was is that uh, uh, that's the reason that we ended it because the, Sonny Black's 
side side that I was with killed these other three captains. So now we got a war going on uh, within the Bonanno family. Uh, Sonny Black gave me a contract to kill one of the guys that didn't show. Four guys were supposed to show only three. So I had the contract to kill the third guy, the fourth guy. Well, <clears throat> uh, it comes a point now where the FBI wants to end the uh, operation. So they go to they go to the, the motion lounge and they tell Sonny, hey, you know, uh, we want to let you know that Donnie Brasco is really an FBI agent. And Sonny says, well, you know, I don't know. You know, they leave. He calls the whole crew together and uh, they can't believe that I'm, that I'm an undercover, that I'm an FBI agent. Their feeling is, Hey, uh, the FBI kidnapped Donnie and uh, trying to make an informant brainwashed him and all that. Well, finally, when it becomes known, you know, once, once the indictments come out, uh, and then they, they have to believe that, uh, that I'm an undercover agent. So <clears throat> Sonny Black gets a phone call uh, to go to a sit down. And uh, so he goes, into the, he goes into the motion lounge, which was uh, our social club. And he says to the bartender, he takes off his diamond ring, uh, takes all the money out of his pocket, takes all the keys off his key, key ring, except for his, uh, his car keys, his puts his wallet, everything on a bar, and says to the bartender, I'm going to a sit down, and I'm probably not coming back. Now, <clears throat> you know, for somebody that's worked these guys and, 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 and worked criminal cases my whole 27 years in the FBI, <laughs> that's a gangster. I mean, that's a real gangster. He knows he's going to a sit down. And he says, I'm probably not going to come back. And yet he goes, calls his girlfriend and uh, <clears throat> says to her, look, you know, uh, Donnie, Donnie's really uh, an FBI agent and I'm going to a sit down uh, and I'm probably not going to come back. Uh, what I want you to do is uh, I want you to call the FBI <clears throat> and I want you to have a meeting with Donnie. So, he says, if I don't, you know, if I don't come back. So after a few days when he never shows up at any place, she calls the FBI and she says, I'm so-and-so. <clears throat> uh, I want to have a meeting with Donnie Brasco. So they call me and they say, do you know this lady? I say, yeah, I know her. You know, she's who she is. So they fly her down to Washington, D.C., <clears throat> And uh, we go out to dinner, myself, her, and, and two agents. And uh, she said, Donnie, she says, here's what happened. So she relays that story to us. And she says, and Sonny said to me, look, I love Donnie like a son. He didn't make us do anything that we, that we didn't do anyway. Uh, he was just better than we were. And he told Judy, I want, you know, I told his girlfriend, I want you to, you know, get in touch with him and tell him that, that you were just better than, than we were. Uh, and they did. They, they, they killed Sonny 
and they uh, they found his body a year later. With, with the hands was, chopped off, uh, I, I remember one of the things Diego taught me at Oxford was the dance of the corpses. How yeah. when you have a dead body displayed in a certain way, it's saying something to the street. And when you chop off the hands of somebody, it's like saying, you brought somebody in, you touched right. somebody, you brought him in. He had introduced me to Santo Traficante, who was the boss of, of Florida, uh, the Traficante family. And he had introduced me to other uh, <clears throat> uh, ranking officials in New York. They also killed Tony Mira because he was the first Venano guy that brought me in. Uh, Jilly got whacked. Uh, Rogerio, who was my, my gangster partner, he was on his way to get get whacked and the FBI had uh, picked it up on a wire. So they, they, they grabbed him off the street before he could, he, he could get, uh, get killed. No, no, but also Joe, with, with, with all this, with all these guys that you hung around with and in some ways, not with Tony Mira, obviously in some ways were friends with, was there anything once you got out, was there any post-traumatic stress? Was there any shock? Was there any feelings of guilt about this? With me? No, no. Why not? Uh, well, because I, I was doing my job. That, that, that was my whole mindset. I, I was just doing my job. Uh, I then, Joe, let, let me reverse the question. You're in the mob for six years, and, and, and the dedication that you put in, I mean, you were spending Christmas, you were, you were missing your daughter's birthdays and, and all kinds of like, important family stuff. You were really engrossed in this life. How did you keep your moral compass pointed to the north? How did you not switch over and gradually fall into that lifestyle? Well, I think because of, uh, you know, of your upbringing, my upbringing, you know, uh, you know, and, 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 and faith and just, just upbringing being, you know, knowing what's right and what's wrong. Um, uh, I never had any desire, you know, none of that stuff enticed me, you know, being a gangster <laughs> had no, had, had no glory, glory, uh, for me. Uh, and again, you know, from my home, you know, my home environment, uh, uh, growing up in the neighborhood. I mean, I knew what all that stuff was about. Uh, and, uh, you know, my dad always tell me, you know, uh, <clears throat> don't get too involved with those guys, you know, no, Joe, you were, I mean, you certainly did get involved with them. And, and now you travel around the world, New Scotland Yard, many of the police forces in the Balkans, across Europe, Italy, you teach undercover techniques. What is the number one undercover technique that you want these police officers to understand and know? Well, the first thing I want to know is why you're here. Why are you here? Um... Why, why are you doing undercover? And if I get an answer, well, you know, I'm having problems at home. Uh, I'm having problems with, at work with my supervisor or whatever. Uh, if I hear th those two, then I don't want you. I don't want you, if you're doing this, to get away from something. Because you can't work undercover worrying about a home situation, worrying about 
you know, oh, I got to go back to that office when this is over and I got to deal with that. You know, I want you doing undercover because you're good at it. And if you had to go back to doing regular work tomorrow, it, it's not a problem. And uh, I always, you know, I, I never fell in love with working undercover. I mean, I was good at it. And that's why, you know, you keep, you keep getting jobs because you're good at what you do. You know, it's no different than, you know, than an accountant that can go into a bank and look at those numbers and know there's something wrong. Uh, so that, you know, so that's what they keep that, that individual. From doing. I, I, I gotta say, um, in your book, uh, unfinished business, one of the, uh, one of the, the great motivation things, and it's, it's true for any of our listeners and attendees that have ever had a problem with bureaucracy administration, the FBI bureaucracy hated you. I mean, at one time, you're having to, you're essentially paying to be an undercover agent for them. You're $3,000 in debt because they're not covering your expenses. Yeah, well, you know, that was in the beginning because, um, you know, when I first started doing undercover, we didn't really have a whole unit at headquarters set up to, you know, to handle undercover operations. Uh, so there were, so there were certain things that, that uh, there was no, there was no money for it. So you had to do it yourself, you know, take it out of your own pocket. Um, and, 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 and again, that's why you, you know, that's why you did it because it was part of the under, you know, it was part of investigation, you know, to me, undercover is just another part of an investigation. Yeah. But Joe, I remember one story you're telling, you have to shift from a hotel down in Florida because otherwise you're going to get killed, you and your undercover partner, and you go check into another hotel. And when you file your expenses, it comes back from the FBI bureaucracy. We're not going to pay for the second hotel because you're not allowed to charge two hotels on the same day. Yeah, that was a drug deal I was doing. And uh, the, the, uh, the drug guys that I was dealing with, you know, they said, check into this hotel. So I check into the hotel. <clears throat> And then a few hours later, they say, okay, go to, you know, go to this hotel, check into this hotel. So I had three hotel bills in one day. And uh, so when I went to do my, my voucher, uh, they, they would only pay for one because there was nothing in the government guidelines that would pay for more than one hotel in one, you know, cycle. So, you know, Eventually, it got paid, but it, you know, it took a long while and, and you're out all that money because back in the day, you know, you fronted, you fronted the money and then you reclaimed it through a voucher. Uh, and, you know, and back then, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money. You know, uh, when I first joined the FBI, I think I was making $8,900 a year, <laughs> which is not a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> Well, particularly when you're paying 3000 bucks for unreimbursed expenses. Uh, thanks. Hey, um, a question from my students, and then I want to get into sports gambling in a major way, because you know that's my professional passion. Uh, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to my students? A number of them are listening. Should they be learning now pistols, unarmed combat, uh, study hard, read books? What's the skill that they need to have now? 
Well, I think one of one of the skills is, you know, I mean, look, if you have to get into a confrontation, that that's the last thing you want to get into. Uh, and I find in, in, in all the classes I teach now, I think the main skill that these young people lack is verbal communication. They don't know how to communicate verbally because of the computer, uh, because of texting, uh, and in, 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 in any, you know, to me, any form of life, you, you need to be able to, you know, verbally communicate, especially in the undercover field. Uh, so, you know, you, you have to be a good communicator. It's interesting. I was, I was completely surprised, Joe. I thought you were going to say go to the pistol range or go do that or something. Reminds me of Peter Valentine, one of the brilliant police officers we had. And I asked him, when you go to a crime scene, what's the best techniques you bring? Is it DNA, blood splatters, fingerprints? And he goes, no, it's your brain. Exactly. Yeah. Um, look, that's, let's talk about that's why, you know, that's why communications, you know, I mean, look, you, you, you don't infiltrate somebody via texting them, you know, uh, they, they, you have to see them face to face. You have to look in their eyes. You have to be able to read their, their, their body language. And again, you have to be verbal communicative. Um, sports gambling. Uh, it's my passion. You can see you've got, I've got your books here, and then I've got some of my books here. Yeah. How big is sports gambling to the mob? Is it bigger than drugs? Is it smaller than drugs? Sports gambling is very big to the mob. Uh, Why? Because, because it's a 365-day-a-year operation, and everybody can do it. You know, the lowest guy on the mob totem pole can be a bookie. Uh Everybody doesn't have the wherewithal to get into the drug trade uh, and make, you know, the big money in the drug trade. Uh, I, 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 I found that uh, gambling, gambling raked in millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars a day. And like I say, it's a 365 day a year. Uh, money maker, money maker. Well, uh, Joe, um, and by the way, just to let you know, I see on the list of participants is my old friend and colleague Dieter from Interpol. He's in oh, charge of the okay. unit on uh, um, international anti-match fixing. Joe, tell Dieter, myself, all our listeners about gambling addiction because Lefty Ruggiero was this made guy, 26 kills, but he was a gambling addict. Tell us about that, please. Well, you know, gambling addiction is no different than uh, alcoholism, I guess, or, or, or drug addiction. I mean, and, you know, they're always looking for the next score. And, you know, I was always asked, well, isn't legal, you know, gambling going to hurt the, the mob's business? And the answer is no, no. Why? Because, you know, you get, I can, I have my local bookie. It's between me and the bookie, how much I bet. The government's not involved. If I hit big, I'm not sure. And this is, this is what goes through their minds. I'm not paying taxes on it. You know, if I hit big, I just have to give, give my bookie a little bit, whatever I want. He doesn't take, 
you know, uh, a set amount from from the, 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 the what the government's going to take. Uh, and you'd be surprised. I know uh, back in the day, I mean, just the numbers racket, you know, how much was bet on the numbers, uh, how much is bet on, 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 on sports booking. But the addicted, the real addicted gambler, uh, he doesn't want to share this with, you know, with the government. He wants his, and, and plus the fact, you know, he can run up his debt with the bookie. I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen if he doesn't, you know, if he, if he's on a losing streak. Uh, so, what, um, Joe, what, what, what's your thoughts on the legalization of sports gambling in the United States, the one that's come in in 2018 and is now going state by state across this country? You know, they're in it, they're in it to get the tax dollar. Is it going to affect uh, the illegal sports gambling? No, I don't think so. No. Uh, again, can you repeat that? Because I think there's two or three journalists and they're going to be looking for a story to write on our interview. Guys, please mention this podcast. But uh, Joe, can you just repeat it so the journalists yeah, can pick I, this up? I, I, don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think uh, legal, you know, states legalizing gambling is going to, is going to cut into uh, uh, the, the, the mob in the gambling business. You know, you, what, what people don't realize is that <laughs> in, in neighborhoods, right? I mean, I, I, you, you may have the little old lady, you know, that goes to the, goes to the bookie, you know, in the neighborhood and everybody knows who the bookie is in the neighborhood. It's no big secret. And, and, uh, you know, bets her, her dollar or $2, you, you know what I mean? Uh, and yeah, or, or, or the guy that picks up the phone, I've got guys all across Ottawa, Canada that were betting with the Rizzutos uh, yeah. and the Rizzutos were the, you know, a big chapter of the banana crime family. They ran sports gambling for years yeah. uh, and they're not going to give it up no, because you can no. pick up a phone and say, I'm going to take X action on this game. Great. Exactly. Thanks, Ben. You're not going anywhere. You're not going to a facility where everybody knows that you're there. You know, now <clears throat> the people like to go to Vegas and, and Atlantic city because they like to play the slots. The biggest, you know what the biggest money maker in casinos is, right? The slot machines. That's the biggest money maker. And right. who, do you, who do you see sitting at the slot machines? Mostly elderly people. I just was in uh, uh, outside of Baltimore giving a, a, a talk to a police uh, group, and it was you know, the, the, the conference was in a casino. Well, you walk through the casino and those slot machines are dinging like crazy, dinging like crazy with, with people, you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Joe, don't, don't even get me started on that. The elder abuse, the, the coaches, the buses that show up in front of a retirement home that yeah. put elderly people on and drive them off. And, and I'm sorry, but... I'm tired of going to conferences of financial investigators or police and law enforcement held in a casino. Like, guys, choose a better location. It, it happens frequently. I'm just... Unfortunately, that's who gives them the best deal, you know? Uh, forget about it.
Forget about it. Like, really, just forget about it. Like, just go somewhere else. The symbolism of having it in a casino is wrong. Hey, listen, you see, I'm already beginning to speak like you, Joe. Um, <laughs> look, we've, talk, done so many, we've done so many conferences together. Yeah, listen, um, tell our listeners the story where a famous athlete comes in and he gets dressed down by a mob guy. Wow, that... <clears throat> That was a, uh, was that the jockey? The jockey, yeah. Well, that happened several times. I mean, uh, uh, I, I see mob guys dressed down attorneys and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> there was, uh, the, the one instance is, is the, that, that comes to mind is, uh, uh, it was a jockey in, 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 in New York now this goes, you know, I mean, this is when I was under, so, uh, and uh, he had, he had uh, lost the race, and he was supposed to win the race, and uh, they grabbed him in the parking lot, you know, after, and just laid into him. Uh, but that, you know, it, it's not only with athletes, I mean, it, it's with anybody. Like I say, I, I've seen him. I, 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 I've been in lawyers' offices with, with wise guys that I'm like, my God, you know, and this guy sits there and takes it. Well, because, he, you know, he, he's going to get a brown bag full of cash. So, you know, he'll lower himself as far as he wants to or as far as he can to get that, that load of cash. Uh, but <clears throat> that's the one thing about – that's why these gangsters are – are uh, successful, and I, uh, we've talked about this. You can't embarrass them. I mean, they don't get, get embarrassed by, you know, uh, any citizen doing anything because they their their mindset is what they're doing is right, and the citizens are the suckers, and that's why they've been successful, you know, for so long. I think the other thing, I remember one time when I was doing my PhD in Oxford, I had to go to um, Kenya to do some work and I was living in a small shack in, a, in the slums and they, they attacked us in the slum. A bunch of guys got the machetes. They heard that a Mazinga, you know, foreigner was staying there and they came and attacked this place with machetes and we fought our way out of the thing and we're on the street afterwards as me and these four or five guys. And the thing that the guy says over and over and over again is respect. They didn't respect me. And we're now going to have to go find them and teach them respect. And I realized at that moment, empirically, viscerally, with my hands and fingers, that respect means life or death on the street. Yes, respect. And uh, the two things you have, to, you have to maintain are your, your respect and your credibility. If you lose either one of them, you're a target. Then, then, then you're to pray. Then you're to pray. Um, if you lose either, you know, your respect or your credibility. Joe, let, let me ask you a general question. Does the, the American mafia, La Cosa Nostra, does that still exist or has it been killed off? No, the American mafia, La Cosa Nostra, still exists. Are they as strong as they were back in the day? No. Why? Because we were, you know, we took away their ability to uh, uh, to run labor unions, to corrupt major, major labor unions. Now, 
do they still have their hand in it? Of course, but they don't control the major, like uh, the uh, Teamsters or yeah, you know, they might control the local, but they don't control the uh, the 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 central uh, labor unions. They don't they don't control politicians anymore or judges like they used to, and they don't corrupt the uh, law enforcement like like they used to. Now, is that to say that you know here and there somebody's they don't corrupt somebody? No, but on a major scale, no. They uh, and the reason I I think the reason being is that you know the younger guy I mean the older guys they had the wherewithal to sit down with, with politicians, with judges, with union leaders, uh, the younger guys, it, it's now, they want it now where the older guys, they knew, you know, it might not be today, but in five years, you know, we'll have this entity that we're trying to corrupt. Uh, and the younger the younger generation no if if they can't have it now it's you know look they're no different than than normal society we want it now final set of questions uh some of your reputation has come because there was a major hollywood movie made about you starring johnny depp and al pacino excellent movie what was that like what did they get let me start what did they get wrong i mean what was it a good movie was it let me say this I thought it was a great movie, and uh, uh, not only for the actors, uh, I mean, Johnny Depp, Al Pacino, Jimmy Russo, Mike Madsen, Bruno Kirby, I mean, it, it, you know, a great- Did they get cast. it right? Did they get that atmosphere they got, right? They, they got 85% of that movie was on the money. Now, I want to say this to the people that, that <clears throat> have seen the movie who are- or gonna go out and see the movie. Here's what they got wrong. Number one, I never slapped my wife. Please, I never slapped my wife. That's a long story. That wasn't in the original script. The director put that in on the day, uh, and it it caused a big megilla between myself and the director. Uh, I didn't cut that gentleman's leg off with a hacksaw. Uh, after they killed him, he, he was so big that they cut him up with a chainsaw. And my wife and I never saw a psychiatrist. That was, that was all movie. Uh, also, during the course of the movie, you, you started to get the, uh, the feelings that, uh, that I was sympathetic toward these guys. And uh, that, that, that was not true. And when I brought that out, my, the answer was, look, we're trying to make you out a hero in this movie. So we, we, we can't have you that callous, you know, so we got to show, you know, to make, to make the audience like you, we have to show that you had feelings for these guys. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there may, oh, and I never had $300,000 in a bag. <laughs> Believe me, uh, but it, the movie was pretty pretty accurate. To be honest with you. Well, uh, I've got a bunch more questions, but the obvious one that I think at least uh, well many people want to know is what is Johnny Depp like to work with? Johnny Depp 
again, I don't have enough good things to say about Johnny Depp. I mean, he was a, he is a great person. We became good friends, good friends until this, till today. In fact, I had a long conversation with him. Uh, I think it was last week or a week and a half ago. Uh, my family loves him. He loves my family. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he always, uh, always treated everybody on that set with respect. Never, you never got the impression that, hey, I'm Johnny Depp, I'm the star. I mean, he's just a great, great guy. Let me ask you my final question, and then many of the audience, and Diego has many questions, Joe, if you don't mind sticking around. Um, is, we, we worked together a number of times, Joe, and one of the times was in Germany in a place called Passau. You brought your wife over and we met your daughter. You gave an amazing presentation. And then I remember the next night we went to uh, a little dinner in this kind of ancient city. And we're sitting there having German food and the stock market, this is September, October, 2008. The stock market is going on a toboggan ride down because of widespread fraud, widespread ripping off of millions of Americans causes $19 trillion in problems around the world, lost earnings. Do you look back now, you've done fantastic work against the mob, but do you think, you know what? I should have gone after those jerks. I should have gone after another group. Well, you know, to me it was whatever, whatever case there was. Uh, and it, it just so happens that, uh, you know, at that point in time, uh, it, it, it was the mob, uh, you know, I worked other undercover cases, and to me, it, it didn't make any difference uh, who the group was. It was whatever, you know, whatever group was, was the target of, of, of the office at that time, or the FBI, and I was, I was the one suited to, to conduct the investigation. That's what I went after. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, we got great undercover agents that are, that are stocks and bonds guys, that know the market, that are great white white collar guys, and that they're great white collar. Uh, yeah, but they never made any of those guys do the perp walk. Yeah, like the, yeah. that group that caused that devastation that we're still feeling ten years after the Great Recession. None of those guys ever did the perp walk. Listen, well, Joe. To me, that's what people have to remember is is that the FBI investigates the cases. And the Department of Justice makes the decision whether they're going to prosecute the cases. So, Joe, uh, in the way that you've lived your life, you've been a model and uh, a lesson for many people. Uh, I want to thank you, first of all, for sharing so much time uh, with you. me and, the, and our listeners this morning. And also, thank you very much for your work. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Crime Waves. It was an absolute honor to speak to Joe Pistone. That's Donnie Brasco. And I do hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did speaking to him. If you did, please uh, like or subscribe us on social media. And we'll see you next week for the next Crime Waves. Thanks.